Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Administrative Static, and I'm very pleased uh, that we're joined by one of our clients today, Mark Changizi, um, who has a suit against the government for all that they have done um, to influence the social media companies to take material off of social media. So uh, why don't you uh, tell the audience a little about who you are, where you're, where you're from, and what you do? Yeah, and so I'm, I'm a cognitive scientist. I've been at various universities. I've got my sixth book came, just came out called Expressly Human. And, uh, you know, I've been a typical Twitter user just promoting my science things for many years. And, and then in March 2020, uh, yeah, I always try to stay apolitical except for free expression related things. But for the most part, I was, I was apolitical. March 2020 came, the world, I was just, it just it did, none of it made sense to me. At the, at the start, I was all alone, as many folks on Team Reality were, because we hadn't found oh, each other. Yeah. For, so first, where were you located physically? I was in Columbus, Ohio at the time. And what's Team Reality? Team Reality refers to sort of the, the folks at the start, March and April of, of and eventually, you know, that more and more uh, became part of Team Reality, the folks that were arguing against the mainstream narrative that COVID is a disproportionately dangerous, altogether novel virus that uh, only these draconian civil rights violating uh, interventions can possibly um, uh, help us uh, uh, fight. Uh, none of those things were true. The interventions didn't work. The virus wasn't entirely novel. It wasn't disproportionately dangerous. It was vaguely flu-like. You know, every aspect of the narrative was wrong. And But at first, we seemed like we were in Alice in Wonderland because everybody that you have ever known is telling you that two plus two equals five. Eventually, you start to doubt yourself. And so we eventually sort of found and coalesced into a group that we sort of, uh, I think maybe Alex Barron's and sort and, of- And through social media. You know, through social media, all through mostly Twitter, in fact, yeah. And um, so then what happened? Well, uh, you know, uh, for the most part, there was certainly a lot of uh, cancel, cancel culture had already begun even in March. If you, you know, we were called deniers. So this, the kind of general cultural transformation of, of uh, wanting and feeling justified to, to uh, censor your, your neighbors from a bottom-up level had already occurred. But really, we hadn't seen the kind of centralized fact-checking level uh, um, censorship really get going very strongly. It was here and there. It was not like Twitter wasn't doing any of it, but it really started to ramp up in early 2021. And I even started my own research institute devoted to free expression institute, freex.group, because in, in about February or March of 2021, because things had gotten so bad uh, in terms of people feeling unfree to just speak out. Now, what platform is that on? Was it, what was that on? Uh, my platform, yeah. oh, this is a research institute. Right. Uh, and so, it, but I was motivated given the research that I was coming out of to focus more on the large scale mass hysteria, how, how these kinds of social contagion sweep through social networks. And you wrote a book on that, didn't you? Yeah. So the first book that came out was this book, Expressly Human, Decoding 
the language of emotion and emotional expressions, understanding and deriving emotional expressions, but also how they undergird uh, the dynamics of large social networks in terms of how humans sort of create and how reputation networks change over time. So anyway, I was motivated by virtue of these changes. And I hadn't quite cottoned on to the fact that the feds themselves were potentially, it occurred to me, but I didn't really have any evidence. And then come April, the, you know, uh, Sack, Jen Saki just sort of says, oh, and by the way, we're coordinating with Facebook and social, you know, and Twitter and YouTube and telling them, you know, who's who, which which people are misinformers. And by the way, we don't think that anybody who's suspended from one shouldn't be suspended from all of them. So you're like, wait a second. So they're they're just admitting that there are are are. are and that's the president's spokes spokes. That's the president's spokes uh, person. Yeah. So. Um... And then what happened? So you're using well, until cringe Jean Pierre took over. Yes, exactly. So then you're 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 doing um, you're tweeting these. You're writing books, but you're also tweeting the things out. Like, give me an example of something. And then you found that it, did you find that they were taken off or that they other people couldn't see it? What would have happened? Well, my you know my there's a variety of ways that we get censored on social media. But my first one was a 12 hour suspension back in May, I believe, of 2021, and this was for just posting a link about masks, uh, the inefficacy of masks and or the harms of masks on a NIH, NIMH server. So I, and so I was, you get an email from Twitter saying you violated their terms of service and I have to choose to delete it or otherwise I can't get back in even after 12 hours. And then another couple months later, a seven day one. Uh, so were you criticizing yeah. NIH or was this from NIH? Just linking to the paper that was, that it was on their NIH sites. And I was, uh, I was on the side of that paper as it happens, right. but that paper went against the narrative, despite it being a, a, not just a paper at something that's at a counter narrative place. It's on their own servers. You know? It's on the national Institute of health servers. Right. And that was taken off and, and Twitter said, uh, uh-uh, you can't do that. Right. You can't do that. Cause it's not. So then a seven day suspension and then uh, near approaching Christmas, I was permanently suspended. And of course, all of that year, uh, that's when it, somewhere around April or so of 2021, these uh, these censorships and suspension became right. You know, right. Uh, well, th- tens of thousands of people. If I go through my old my old threads, you can see all the people who commented or people that I was quote tweeting like I'm I'm. I'm sort of linking to theirs. And as you go through these old threads of mine, you just see this person doesn't exist. This account doesn't exist. Well, there's just so many. That, and so I would say there's probably hundreds of high profile people who've had tremendous followings, good, smart people, uh, independent thinkers gone. Uh, Rico Gatto is a, is a, is a great example. Uh, Who's that? Rico Gatto was one of the leaders. He was even on one of these early um, government uh, you know, where they show like a screenshot of the web and who's connected to in these clusters. Yes. And he was one of these. He, he's, he's an incredibly bright guy, an anonymous, a pseudo anonymous name. Uh, he has a great subsect. But a lot of these people are, are just gone and have been permanently suspended. And, and apparently, even though the pandemic is, pandemic is over, they've just, they're gone forever. Now, I'll just tell, we've talked about this case many times on the show. And so I think the audience knows that we had a preliminary injunction hearing that was denied. And then the judge dismissed the case, primarily saying that um, that these are private organizations and can't attribute anything the government did to them. And then we've had uh, more information come out since then. But just from your view of what you know, why, do, why did you attribute this to the government? Uh, well, <clears throat> it, again, it had occurred to me, but 
the government told us they were doing. It was the most obvious. But as it turns out, in my case, because I wasn't immediately suspended, permanently suspended, I was permanently suspended, but then re-appealed and then got back in. And then it occurred to me after that, after I started talking to NCLA, uh, I was able to then go look back at my impressions per month. That's how many people have viewed all of your tweets in some sense, how visible you have been. So I was basically no visibility prior to March 2020. And then I was rising and rising and rising up until May of 2021. So I had you know 10 million, let's say, impressions per, per month. And then falling, falling, falling all the way a year later. You can see that it just went down to a fact by a factor of 10. And the same thing over at YouTube. The number of, it's, here it's the number of new subscribers. And of course, once you've got, let's say, if you've got 10 subscribers, you're happy to have like one new subscriber. Right. But once you've got like 4,000, usually the number of new ones is more proportional to the size that you are. That's just the way things grow. It's a sort of thing. But no, so the number of new subscribers was just at, at the same time scale, the same for around May or June, the number of new subscribers fell and fell and fell over, the, over that year. So they had set up uh, various... Uh, even when I wasn't being seven, you know, 12 hour or seven day suspended or permanently suspended, they had set up mechanisms to uh, de demote me, de-boost me. And in fact, it just says everybody, people, I don't see your tweets anymore. And when I do it, all it does, it may, maybe people did see it for Trump. All it just says, this is a sensitive content tweet. Are you sure you want to see it? If you do want to see it, go back, go into your settings and change your settings. And most people say they don't even know how to figure out the change your settings. It's just nothing changes. So everything that I've tweeted is as if I'm a porn, treated like a porn start like it's the same setting that a porn star um, yeah. would have um, and no matter how many times i appeal to them they say sorry you're you're just in that category and eventually they admitted it's because of your COVID views they actually admitted in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a reply and and that is uh the, the fact is um i'm not uh, uh on social media you are but the way it works is that the social media companies um make money by having people on. They don't have a, a reason to kick you off themselves if if you're not doing anything that drives people away, right? Well, yeah, they wouldn't have an incentive. I, I, they, I, I grew tremendously, as did a lot of, of folks with similar kinds of, and I have my own angle. Of course, I'm coming from cognitive science, from evolutionary biology, very unique perspective within this kind of, and people are interested. They were really just scrambling to hear it because and I've got a YouTube Science Moment channel on these sorts of thoughts that no one else is talking about. People wanted to hear. Why don't you tell people the YouTube channel right now? Well, just it's, if you just search on, it's it's called the Science Moment, uh, but with Mark Chang easy. So you just look at my name. I've got my, you know, it started off as just science moments, just s simple science stuff. And then March 2020 hit. And I said, I just can't keep doing just basic science stuff. And so, so I sat for a few months, said, okay, no, there's so much interesting science going on. And none of it's about epidemiology. It's all about human psychology, social networks, mass hysteria. And so now I'm 250 more episodes in, all, almost all of them related to the crazy world we're in in the last two years. And um, so your case is on appeal, and we are, uh, we are pushing to have the Sixth Circuit uh, acknowledge that, uh, hey, look, they aren't doing this by themselves. And the government has. And, and it's interesting that you say that uh, you saw Jen Psaki on TV, right? And the judge said, well, I don't know if I can even use her. Uh, I don't even know if I can use that statement. So, um, well, in conclusion, uh, what, um, what do you hope happens? Well, I, I mean, I, I have broader goals uh, from my free expression and free ex than just arguing against 
the federal government. In the longer run, if we win this, which we need to, uh, I think that private companies that are public squares just shouldn't be allowed to discriminate on the basis of viewpoint. And we'll see what happens. But thanks very much for being here. Administrative Static, and I'm thrilled to have another client with us um, in one of our cases against the government for censoring uh, social media. Jill Hines is here from Louisiana. Where are you in Louisiana? I'm in Reston. Okay. And welcome so, to Administrative Static. Yeah, Thank welcome. You. And um, so uh, Jill is a plaintiff in uh, a case that uh, we joined that was started by the state of Missouri and states of Louisiana to um, sue the federal government uh, and various people, the president and, and Surgeon uh, General Fauci and all, you know a number a number of a number of folks. The, the 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 defendants go on for quite a while, so I won't go there. But uh, I I want to um, talk to Jill about who are who are you? What were you doing uh, in social media? Um, well, um, I run, I help run an organization called Health Freedom Louisiana, and we're a consumer and human rights advocacy organization. We actually incorporated um, the summer before COVID hit, and, um, summer Good 2019, right? So we were ready to hit the ground running when this happened, <laughs> not anticipating this right. happening. Um, and so we really kind of um, incorporated to preserve and protect an individual's right to say no to an unwanted medical intervention, specifically vaccination. And at that time in 2019, um, California had already passed some really archaic um, vaccination laws, which removed an individual's religious exemption to vaccination. And then, um, which only left them with a medical exemption. And then they passed a bill in 2019 that would require the government to approve their medical intervention. So we rallied, we um, became very organized and intent on preserving Louisiana's exemption law for school attendance. Um, I tell people all the time when I meet them, that's one of the best things about Louisiana is our exemption law. And um, it really does put the decision-making back into the parents' hands where it belongs on what medical interventions are appropriate for their children. So that was the goal of our organization. And then of course, COVID hit and um, our, our purpose expanded a little bit as we saw, because we're so in tune to human rights, because we consider um, a, you know, medical choice and being forced to undergo a medical procedure um, as, a, as a human rights violation. And because we were, we were so in tune, my business partners and I were so in tune to the issue of human rights, we, we saw that the government's closure of businesses and impeding an individual's right to uh, be a breadwinner for their family as a human rights issue. So we expanded our reach and started another grassroots organization called Reopen Louisiana. 
and for the intent purpose of reopening our state with the legislature's um, authority under statute to sign a petition. And so we hit the ground running again to get our legislature to sign the petition to, un to undo basically the governor's executive order. And so, and how did social media um, come into this? Well, what were you using and how did you use it? We were most active on Facebook. Um, we did have Twitter and Instagram accounts, um, but we were most active on Facebook. We had a lot of social engagement there, and we also had groups. You know, on Facebook, you um, can form what's called a closed group. And because we discussed sensitive information, you know, which pediatricians can you see that respect a parent's rights? And sometimes those pediatricians could be blackballed by the industry or censored by the ind industry. We, we wanted to keep that sensitive information private. So we created a closed group. You had to answer questions to begin in, but it was very prolific. We had about 2000 members. So we were very active on Facebook, not so much Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, and so we used that to, um, to, to rally people when we had um, bills in front of the legislature. Um, again, if an individual had questions about which pediatrician to see, they could ask us in that group, and it was um, we felt comfortable answering the question there. And what happened? <laughs> well, um, our reopen page, our, granted, our, our Health Freedom Louisiana public page was already um, um, getting censored prior to COVID. Vaccine um, uh, informed consent when it comes to vaccination is not a very popular topic. Just the word vaccine is very, it's charged. Um, so our Health Freedom Louisiana page, we already encountered some, some censorship on that. So we were a little used to it. Not as much though when COVID hit. Now the Health Freedom Louisiana page, we really used it um, because nobody knew who started it. We were kind of anonymous. We were a faceless organization. We took the opportunity to antagonize the governor as much as we could. I really enjoyed that. And our Department of Health. We refuted a lot of the information that they were that they were putting out and promoting. We were countering it and refuting it. Um, I, I watched every single one of the governor's press conferences. They're awful. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend them to anyone. But we would counter the information that they put out there. And we gathered a large gathering of people that, um, you know, they, were, they felt the same way, that what was going on um, was wrong. And we started getting influx of um, questions to our inbox through Facebook, asking for help. One particular um, restaurant owner sent us pictures of how the government required her to um, put her tables. And it was just, it was, it was pathetic. And her, her story um, about how she literally had one table in the center of her restaurant and how she could not get people in to, um, she couldn't get employees in because they were making so much money staying at home. She was literally taking orders, preparing food, cleaning tables, she said, even cleaning toilets because she couldn't get staff in. So we just knew how wrong that was. So our message was really um, endearing, I think, to the people in Louisiana that heard it and Reopen Louisiana grew. Uh, significantly in a short amount of time. And um, I kept screenshotting our analytics and I would send it to my business par partners. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're like, you know, 250,000 people in a month, you know, 300,000 people. And then 
when we got the biggest hit on our social media account, we were tracking between 1.3 and 1.4 million people in a month's time, wow. which for us, I mean, yeah. I'm just, I mean, what's the population of Louisiana? I know, like right? Four million, right? right? Something right. like five? Maybe. We're right at a quarter of the, the population. <laughs> and so, and we're all just homeschool moms. We have one mom that works um, full time, but for us to have that kind of social media reach, and the, the good that we were doing, because we were we were um, organizing rallies at the Capitol. I actually spoke at a at, coordinated and spoke at a rally across from the governor's mansion. And um, we had a lot of people there that day. We were getting people to committee meetings to to help um, defend bills in the legislature. So we were doing some really good work. And then the um, the biggest hit that we took when I had screenshotted our analytics, um, it was a call to action. For people to call the governor to rescind his mask mandate and um, it had pictures it was not exploitive it had pictures of children's mouths not their full face right. but it had um in Patago, and because we were hearing especially from one of our legislators that his granddaughter had um, um broken out with Patago around her mouth from wearing the mask mm -hmm. so we shared that and a call to action to call the governor to have him to resend his mask mandate and it got hit um and it was a, it was our first 24 hour um Bam. facebook jail yeah, yeah and it also coincided with the same day that we had two bills in committee so we weren't able to get people into committee that afternoon to, and one of the bills was to prevent a covid 19 vaccine mandate this was back in 2020 so i think we were really before ahead of our time we we helped that legislator bring that bill um, to the committee. So what did Facebook tell you? Um, I can't remember exactly if it was a community standard or a fact check, but it was basically they don't allow any kind of information. Like, like if you were speaking out against the mask, it, that's not allowed. So because it was, um, it had pictures of children's faces and had masks on there. Um, did you say you were pro-mask and stay on? I think you probably could. Yeah. I have not heard of a pro-masker that was taken down from Facebook. There have I. <laughs> so um, uh, let's see. So um, so what happened was, um, and 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 did you did something happen after that? As far as Facebook, yeah. now um, that the first initial hit was twenty four hours. Um, and then successive hits after that were um, just grew exponentially. Like I just got off of a 30 day Facebook ban, um, but they always, uh, uh, it's, it's far, it's farther than just that. It, it goes to like your Facebook groups, like our groups have been disbanded. Our 2000 member group is no more. Um, we moved to a, another group that we'd already established and we had about 500 members in that, that we were able to move over. And um, it got disbanded as well. So every time you're hit with some kind of community standard violation or fact check or whatever, your reach is diminished. Like they don't show you to people. I even had one person say when they finally started showing our page again, she said, we wondered where you went. And it was interesting too, because when we started Reopen Louisiana, 
there were some people that were commenting um, on one of almost every post. Like you got to know people right. through that little community. And there's one woman, I'm sure she was an elderly woman just because of the antiquity of her name. It was Ruth something and no profile picture. And most of our elderly don't have like profile pictures. They're very unsure about sharing that kind of thing. So no profile picture. And I haven't heard from her again since that. So it's, it's like we lost a little community member. Yeah. And, and, um... And and what you've you've done um, in this suit is uh, joined we've, we've joined with a number of other plaintiffs and we've sued the government mm -hmm. because it's come to the point that the government was telling Facebook what to do and and uh, so I I'd like to ask you and and this is in litigation we're moving for injunction why did you join the suit and what do you hope comes of it? Um, well, I was really thrilled that they asked me. Um, I, you know, I've never had a desire to have my face in front of the public. Um, when you talk about this kind of um, topic, you attract um, some people that really think that you might be harming society or even their children. My face in front of the public, but I think you have to know the truth. Thank you very much for being here. And Mark and I will see you next week.